Hey, this is Stephen McWhorter, worship leader, songwriter, and you are listening to the Practical Worship Podcast. Well, hello and welcome to the Practical Worship Podcast. I'm Dave Dolphin, and this is a show designed to help you lead a worship band and be a leader of people. We release a new episode on the first Friday of every single month, so if you haven't already, consider subscribing on whatever app you're using right now to listen to your podcast on so you don't miss another one. Thank you so much for spending some time with us. This is episode 24, and today's guest is Stephen McCorder. You might recognize that name from Iron Bell Music with songs like God That Saves and Belong to You, and the band is still together, but now they just go by the name Stephen McCorder with their latest EP, Grave Clothes. Stephen's testimony is pretty incredible. When you hear him describe his life before becoming a Christian, he seems like the most unlikely person to become the worship leader and songwriter that he is today. But I think I think that's the beauty of it all. And in this conversation, as he shares his testimony, you'll keep hearing him talk about going back to that one night, that one moment where he gave his life over to Jesus. And I think that's an important thing for us to learn as worship leaders, that we consistently remind ourselves of what Christ did for us, the power that he has, and the redemptive story that we all have. I think that it's important because it helps us to stay grounded in a role that can really have the potential to inflate our egos and think too highly of ourselves if we're not careful. Throughout this uh, conversation, we will also talk about authenticity in worship and how our worship on stage as we lead others has to be from the overflow of our own personal and private worship. I love Stephen's heart and his love for people and the Capital C Church. It's so evident in this conversation, and I can't wait to share it with you. But first, the product of the month is Church Motion Graphics. Now, if you've ever seen me post on Instagram, maybe a scene from one of our Sunday morning worship services, and you see the screens and just kind of the imagery and the visuals that we're using on the screens, you've seen CMG. We exclusively use church motion graphics both in our main stage venue for Sunday morning and also in our student ministry on Wednesday evening. And I love the look of it. It's modern. The colors are vibrant, but they still stay understated enough, you know, so that when you put song lyrics on top of them, it doesn't like overpower that. And a lot of times they use real simple geometric shapes like lines and circles. Some of the pack names, just to give you an idea, and when you're trying to describe something that's visual, you got these names like colored smoke, crystal glass, foil vibes, glitter rush, dot spin. And every month they will release a new pack of motion backgrounds with matching countdowns and welcome slides and things like that. And you can buy just a pack or you can sign up for a subscription and you get new packs every single month. And then their premium subscription also includes extra slides for sermons and announcements and social media graphics. I'll put a link to the CMG website in the show notes so you can actually see what some of these visuals actually look like and you can learn more about them. Plus, all the other things that we'll mention throughout the episode, you can find them by going to practicalworshipblog.com slash podcast 24. And now, here's my conversation with Stephen McCorder. (laughs) 
Stephen McWhorter, welcome to the show. Oh, man, it's great to be on. Thank you for having me, dude. Now, right before we uh, we went on the air, we were talking about just various, obviously, as a songwriter and as a worship leader, one of your art forms is going to be, uh, you know, music and writing songs and things like that. But you were telling me that you, like, you're like way into like other forms of like artwork and things like that. Tell me more about that. Yeah. Now, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't think of myself necessarily as like a an artist, like I'm wearing a beret or something, you know? <laughs> you would look good in a beret, though. I'm not that cool. I'm the guy that eats cereal and watches Netflix. I'm not artsy. So, but I will say this. I've always been a fan of, like, really cool, um, you know, illustrator, almost tattoo-esque, even though I literally have no tattoos at all. Um, I, I've always loved that kind of stuff. And I think, you know, over the last couple of years, even when I was a kid, I remember drawing comic books all the time. Like a lot of people did that. But do you, ha- do you still have some of those comic books you did when you were younger? Oh, no, no, I don't. I, you know, we, we had a flood and I lost a bunch of stuff like years back, years back. Um, but I still have some of the cards and stuff that I had from then. So I, I gave them to my kids and they were like, what's this weird stuff? <laughs> They don't care. But, uh, you know, so anyways, with that, I started drawing all this just really kind of almost like prophetic. Like, I just like, Lord, tell me what to draw. Like, I'd read the word and then I would just like say, give me some crazy image to draw, you know, around this. And it turned into this really fun, almost like, I don't know how to explain it. But if you go to like my social media channels, you'll see a lot of stuff I'm talking about. But it's just like really fun interesting art and i don't know it's been like one of those things like when i'm doing it i'm not really doing anything else and it just kind of helps me kind of detach a little bit or you know kind of unwind and it's a lot of fun well it's nice to have something you know a creative outlet that isn't necessarily tied to your vocation yeah you know it's nice that you know you and i are both in you know in avenues where we can be creatively expressive in what we do vocationally and that's cool oh my but gosh. sometimes it's like okay my creative expression has now become work today, and it's nice to <laughs> yeah. have those things. I turn everything into that. If I'm, I mean, it's like so hard for me to not go, oh, that could be great for this, you know. Uh, instead of just go, no, it's fine. This is just just a draw. Let's just draw. Let's not worry about it being an album cover or whatever, you know. Let's just draw. So. Yeah, I can I can relate. I think that's cool, and uh, you definitely check out the the his Instagram and all that. As far as like being able to see, have you ever done like uh, maybe like album art or things like that for like other people? Has it just been for you and the things that you're doing? Uh, really, just for me. I've been asked to do stuff, but it's like, gosh, I'm just so busy. I'm not that cool. I'm just too busy. You keep <laughs> <It's> like, okay. <laughs> you keep saying that. Like I'm not that cool. I, I want to tell you the first time I heard the song "Belong to You," I was like, "Okay, that dude's cool." I had, I don't even know what he looks <laughs> then I've, like. I've totally fooled you. I'm the biggest <laughs> dork you'd ever meet. But that's <gasps> fine. I was like, I wish uh, I wish I could sound like that. Uh, so I have a hard time believing that you're not that cool. But I mean, you're, you right. know what? Never mind. I'm gonna speak life. I'm so cool. <laughs> I'm just too cool. Exactly. I I believe it. (laughs) Anyway, I just, I love having you. Thank you so much for being a part of the show. And I wanted to kind of take some moment and just in the, in the, uh, I don't know, the limelight of authenticity in worship. And I know for me, I'm so, I'm so analytical and the things that I, that I do that I, I can really nerd out on a lot of details in terms of how to get it done. And I think that all that stuff's important and excellence in worship is important. But 
it is a means to an end. And I think that at the end of the day, that authenticity now more than ever really needs to shine through. And based on what I've read and seen and listened to your podcast and the songs that you've written, uh, I just see that, you know, that authenticity all the way through. And I think a lot of it comes from your story. So in the limelight under the umbrella of authenticity and worship, um, I want to just kind of give you an opportunity to share with people kind of like how you got to where you are today, all the different things, the good and the bad and the ugly that got you to this place where God is using you in the way that he is. Well, uh, yeah, I'll do my best to keep it short. Um, but you know, I was raised an evangelist son and my dad traveled church camps and revivals, you know, all that. I grew up in that. And unfortunately the man I saw on Sunday morning behind a pulpit was not the same behind closed doors. I saw him literally be physically abusive with my mom and then get up and preach about Jesus. So at a young age, I decided if God's real, he's not good. And I mean, I went down this crazy, intense path of just like, nope, he's no good. I mean, at a young age, and you know, that's where it starts, that descent with just a lie about God's character, right? And so at 13, I started smoking and drinking and marijuana and all that stuff. And then by the time I'm 15, it's cocaine, LSD, uh, pills. I'm selling drugs. By the time I'm 17, I've become a full out crystal meth addict. I'm using crystal meth almost every day for nearly six years. And during this time, I'm the guy that hates, hates, hates Christianity, like loathes it. And uh, even looking back, I remember like I would cuss people out even if they mentioned the name Jesus around me. Um, It was almost like violent, you know, and uh, in hindsight, I can look back and not to be weird, but I believe this, that it was almost like demonic, you know. And so here I was in this place and I remember someone coming to me um, who, you know, people were telling me how they were always praying for me and interceding on behalf of, you know, me coming to Jesus. And, and you're stuff. like, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But, you know, I, they were. And they, I remember somebody saying how they pulled over even on the side of the road once just crying uncontrollably about me coming to Jesus. And let me say this. If you ever pull over on the side of the road and start crying over somebody coming to Jesus, that's the Holy Spirit, you know, because we're such instinctively selfish people. That's got to be the Lord. He's wooing you to intercede on that person's behalf. And so, you know, God was after me and someone came and they gave me this book called The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. I don't know if you know the book. Yeah. But... um I, they gave me this book, and man, having told you how against Christianity I was, this is the most miraculous part of the story because I was like, cool, thank you. You know, I didn't like claw anybody's eyes out or anything. I accepted the book with no incident. And fast forward, I'm living in a house with full of musicians and drugs because at this time I'm literally touring in metal bands and screaming my head off, you know, and uh, that's the world I was in at that time. And uh, it's three o'clock in the morning. I'm reading this book. I literally have drugs next to me on the side table in, as I'm sitting here in bed. And I'm reading this book about Jesus. Nobody's in the corner softly playing pads, you know? <laughs> it's, like, it's like seemingly the most improbable environment for somebody to give their life to Jesus. Um, but um, I always say, you know, it's the kindness of God to meet a wounded pastor's kid in a place where nobody can get the glory but him like untouched by the hands of man, right? Right. And in this room, 
I encounter the presence of the living God. Like, you know, I know people say that a lot, but I mean, I'm telling you, it was the real thing. Like, here I am in this room, and I'm, I know he's there, right? And we begin to have this internal dialogue, and it went like this. He said, Stephen, I'm real, and I'm good, and I have a purpose for your life. And I remember thinking, like now I think this, that that sounds, all those words sound like I pulled them out of a book called Christian Things to Say, right? <laughs> Just like, like, they could apply to anything, right? right. Uh, it's like, Jesus loves you're you. You're supposed but, to say uh, that because, yeah, you're a worship <laughs> pastor. That's what you're supposed to say. Exactly, you know. Uh, but God has a way of saying a word you've heard a million times that has become trivial to you. Um, but when he says it and you hear him, I mean like you really hear him. It unlocks something that's been dormant inside you your entire life. And in this room, I remember being like, oh, God, I want to give you my life. I want to quit all this addiction, all this darkness, all this depression, all this ugh that I've known for so long. But God, I don't know how. I don't know how to stop being this person. I have been this for over 11 years. I can't imagine quitting. And in a thought more powerful than words, the Holy Spirit spoke something into me, I believe, um, that changed me forever. He said, Stephen, you won't do it. I'll do it. And it was just this thought that God put in my mind. And I just remember agreeing with him, like taking him at his word, believing him like I believe I'm breathing air right now, right? Mm -hmm. And I fell to my knees that night in that room. I gave my life to Christ. I went from addiction to redemption, from meth addict to worship leader. Well, not overnight worship leader, but literally I quit everything overnight. And that is not normal. And people often, when I speak at like addiction recovery things or whatever, they'll say, you can't say that because it doesn't always work like that. And I'll say, well, take it up when you get to heaven, you know, <laughs> take it up with God when you get to heaven. What do you want me to do? So, but I'll say this in the gospels, Jesus never healed anybody the same way twice. Right. Because every story has a purpose and your story is important. And for whatever reason, my story was this. Trust me, he's had plenty more to work on, you know, <laughs> over the years. <laughs> I've got lots of issues for him to fix. But, uh, <laughs> I just remember, you know, right then, I think it was like a year later after this amazing encounter, which, by the way, I always say to people, you know, God's real. Like, and it sounds like a statement where you're like, oh, duh, yeah, I've got the answer to that. I'm a Christian. I know it's yes, he's real. But I'm not looking for like the right head answer. I want you to know it. Like, think about all the implications of what it means to say God's real. It's all true. It's all real. I mean, it should blow your mind. And I remember getting saved and running around to people going, oh my gosh, it's real. <laughs> Did you guys know this was real? Oh my goodness. What was, I, I want to know, what was the next day like? So that moment happened at um, you know, three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> the next day, well, you know, I literally laid on a floor crying that night. Like it was wild, man. I mean, I, I want to hold on to that night for the rest of my life, you know, because it's just like. I'm always trying to stay close to that. When I talk about God being real and all that, that's me trying to stay close to that moment and remember, you know, who God really is and what he can do. 
But the next day, you know, um, here's the thing people don't think about. They go, oh, wow, you quit meth. Look, I smoked two packs a day for 11 years. I quit smoking. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> you think quitting all that other stuff's hard? Try doing it without smoking. Yeah. So anyways, I quit smoking. It was it was interesting, let's say the least. And um, I would say the guys I was living with looked at me like I lost my mind. And um, pretty much everyone I thought was a friend disappeared. Um and the Lord led me into the adventure that has become my life. I think like maybe a year later as I was delivering pizzas, um, I got hired at a very small um, church to be uh, a worship leader and um, for their contemporary service because they had a, a traditional service, you know? Mm-hmm. So and I think 20 people went to the, you know, contemporary service and the guy slid me a list of songs that I was allowed to play. Right. And it was like, I think the coolest and most modern thing on that list at the time was I can only imagine. Right. And uh, <laughs> so was Lord, I lift your name on high on the list. <laughs> I don't think that that was, that would have been too cool for these people <laughs> at the time. I think, um, no, you know, here's the thing though, man, and this is something for worship leaders or whatever. When you come out of a place where you're staying so close to the reality of God and not just an occupation, what happens is when somebody slides you a list and you get to sing about the character of God, I didn't care what the songs were. This was a guy that was singing metal. I was just happy to get to do this, you know? And in that moment, I remember singing those songs and singing all these songs that might seem cheesy and being like meaning it and caring about it, you know, and being like, oh my gosh, this stuff's all real. All this stuff I'm singing, songs I heard when I was in these revivals and stuff, it's all real. And I started trying to stay close to that today, but that was kind of the beginning of me coming into a worship career. And then I, I began into a church. I think I was a worship leader full time for almost 12 years. Um, before stepping into uh, the next chapter. And was that next chapter at Iron Bell? It was. Mm-hmm. And that's when I first heard your name. I remember when someone else showed me the song Belong to You, and I was looking it up, and I was like, who's this by? It's by Iron Bell Music. And, mm-hmm. and at the time, I didn't know who that was. But I've dived in a little bit deeper in terms of like, you know, Iron Bell Ministries and all of that. So yeah, share a little bit about like all the, just the backstory on that. Yeah, so, you know, I went from, I was in a church, and by the way, this story, what I'm about to say does not apply to everyone, okay? (laughs) Just disclaimer. Um, You know, I was at this place where I was doing the week in, week out thing, and I was kind of burning out, you know what I mean? Like, I was slowly getting in a rut, Um, and I think as worship leaders, and maybe you guys can understand that, and uh, I will say this, uh, in that time, I begin to just say, hey, God, I, I want to remember the person I met that night in that room and and that you're real and that you actually speak to me. And if you really speak to me, tell me what you're wanting me to do with my life. You know, I feel like I'm on autopilot a little bit right now. And um, so I begin to fast and pray a lot and go heavy after spiritual disciplines, you know what I mean? Like just going out and like getting away and spending days with the Lord, wanting to hear him, wanting to just do whatever he wanted to do with my life. But I, I was just kind of like, I just need to know it's you. And no matter how crazy he is, I'm going to do it. You know, it's like, um, and it was in that time where the Lord was kind of teaching me how he has specific purposes and things for people's lives. And we have to seek him 
to get those answers and to get the the leading and the, the thing he wants to do, the purpose and the destiny spoken into every individual. Um, he wants to counsel us and lead us into those things. Um, and it's with his word that we know what he's like, right? It's like the it's like the Holy Spirit's giving you, but you know, by taking in the word, the Holy Spirit's giving you kind of like a library to pull from so you can tell. God's voice from your own thoughts, right? Right. <laughs> and, right. And the opinions of people. And so I began to step into all that. And I just remember believing that the Lord had called me into a season of songwriting and just, you know, traveling, doing worship leading and or just doing something different. I didn't know what it was, but I knew he was calling me to step back from what I'd been doing. And just this is good for worship leaders here. This is not for everybody. God's not telling you if things get tough or you just feel bored, it doesn't mean you're supposed to leave your church, okay? <laughs> so let me just say that real quick, okay? Um, I really wanted to do the right thing, not just run, right? So I went to my pastor and I said, hey, I feel like the Lord's calling me into something, but I don't want to do it if I'm not supposed to. So will you pray about this with me and tell me what the Lord tells you? So I'm honoring the pastor and allowing him to pastor me even through these thoughts, Right. And he ends up coming back to me and saying, man, I really feel like God's calling you to do this too. And so now it's become this thing that um, I put in like my four, five, six months notice because I didn't want to just leave in like two weeks. Right. Because um, I had helped build this church up pretty decently. And so I was there through the whole process, preparing people and everything. And now to this day, me and that pastor are still close friends. And it's just so awesome because sometimes you leave those scenarios and it doesn't work like that. You never talk again. And, uh, but we're still close friends just because of the Lord, how we kind of did that. We, I honored him. And so he honored me and it was really cool. But in that moment, like the Lord told me I was going to do that. So here I am, my job's almost up. <laughs> I'm like, uh Oh, have I had a, um, midlife crisis here or something? Yeah. <laughs> like, did I really mind? hear from God? <laughs> I mean, I've got three kids. Have I lost my mind? And, uh, <laughs> So, you know, that's what I'm thinking. And seriously, through a series of events I won't go into, but it would blow your mind, like just the way the Lord works. Um, somebody eventually said, hey, you need to check out this place called the Iron Bell. It's a barn where people just pray. And I'm thinking people sitting on bales of hay, you know. <laughs> so I get there and it's like, you know, Panera Bread or a Pottery Barn built a barn, right? And uh, <laughs> it's really nice. And we're just, it's just cool. It's fun. I just came in there and just worshiped and prayed and just hung out in the back for like a year, you know. Um, and during that time, I was just taking like little itinerary worship leader jobs here and there, right? Right. And... um here I am just praying and just spending time with God. I just wanted to be with him and just wait. And eventually these people are like, hey, who are you? And what are you doing here? And hey, you want to help us start to, uh, we've, you know, put together a worship songwriting community here. And so, you know, Joel Gertis, who's one of my best friends and one of the songwriters and voices for Iron Bell Music at the time, he uh, and I became close friends and um, started writing a lot of stuff and just spending time with God and singing about his nature. And it was all so pure. And, you know, and out of that, the uh, Lord, uh, literally, we never like tried to pitch a record deal or called anybody and was like, listen to our stuff. It was literally like the Holy Spirit just like worked it out. I don't know how to explain it other than like suddenly some very influential people are calling going, hey, we love the stuff you guys are putting out and what you're doing. Uh, we like to get involved. I mean, next thing you know, we got all these major record labels coming to this little barn in the middle of nowhere. And um, 
you know, next thing you know, we've we got a record deal. We're putting out the God that saves record and then the glory to glory record. And, and uh, you know, it got so big so fast, <laughs> kind of like if you're a small little local prayer ministry and suddenly you have this massive um, uh, like worship original worship music band that's like taking off it's taking up a lot of your time yeah this thing's like uh, taking up a lot of time so what happened was they really wanted to step back from that and we saw thousands of people coming to christ on the road and so we all felt really led to keep doing that and so there was this this there was this good like you know kind of splitting up separating ways and with that, we weren't allowed to take the name Iron Bill Music with us. So January of last year, um, myself and the band separated from Iron Bell. Um, and now, not my idea, but the band's idea was to call it Stephen McCorder. Um, since a lot of it kind of already revolved around all the songs I was writing. And I wrote pretty much 90% of the songs that was on Iron Bell. And so it felt more like a band than anything than it did a collective. So we, we well, were kind of like, well, it works for David Crowder, right? It did work sure. for David Crowder. Well, yeah. Maybe and that wasn't a good example. Yeah. He's not bad. Uh, Chris Tomlin. No, yeah. 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 Uh, so, yeah. No. And like, I'm not comparing myself to those people. But anyways, uh, you know, that, that was, that was, you know, just kind of one of those moments where we said, okay, here we go. We're going to call it Stephen McWhorter, the same name seen on bad checks. Let's do this. Um, <laughs> So, just kidding. But anyways, you know, here I am, and I'm uh, in this place where we just kind of stepped out, and uh, next thing you know, we're doing 150 dates a year. Um, we put out a single grave clothes, and it was just it's just been a roller coaster ride. And now all I do is travel every weekend to new churches, lead worship, set with worship teams. I get to meet them and pray over them and see so many people come to Christ, get to minister and disciple worship teams, and it's just super life-giving. I don't know how to explain it. It's hard work, but it's so rewarding. And now I find that we have like hundreds of churches and people all over the country that we're literally close friends with. And we feel like we're part of the church, you know what I mean? In a way that I don't know that I've ever experienced till now. And it's been really special. Well, and what I think is really neat about the story and kind of circling back to just authenticity and worship um, is that all of those things, you know, even just, you know, seeing your dad in the, in the way that you did as far as like these, these two don't match up. I, I would imagine for one, you do everything you possibly can with your kids to like not be that, but also letting that be an overflow of your heart as you're leading worship. And we we're kind of in this area right now where um, for a, a, a lack of a better term, you know, we just came out of this era where the attractional kind of model of church and the come see the show and cool church and all that, yeah. um, you know, we, we just kind of came out of that. And I think authenticity has always mattered, but now more than ever, we're finding ourselves in a place where, I mean, we have to fact check our news. Like, you know, we read something from what are supposed to be reputable news organizations and we're like, is that true? I mean, like we're questioning everything <laughs> right now. And so what advice do you have based on your journey and everything you just shared? Like when you get on that stage and you lead worship and you go through the songs, you know, it, you know, we, we talk about authenticity and like that's a thing we want to do, but like... 
teaching how to do that is easier said than done. So like, like you give it a stab, like what, what advice can you, when you, when you hang out with those worship teams as you're traveling, what are you telling them to do as worship leaders? Yeah. Um, this is like, I'm, I'm asked literally thousands of times a year by people, they come on and they say, what's well, one thing you would give advice to me as a worship leader or, or a songwriter or whatever. And I'll, this is what I'll always say. L- learn to worship out of the overflow. And now I'm going to unchurchy that for you for a second, unchristianize it. Uh, the idea is you want to spend so much time just singing to the Lord and spending time with Him, being with Him with your gift, whatever it is, really. But as worship leaders, with your gift, right? If it's singing, playing piano and singing, playing guitar and singing, whatever. Spend so much time with Him that what people experience when you get on a stage is now the overflow of a life lived in the presence of God. It's not like now I'm on stage, now I'm leading worship. No, now you're just doing what you always do when nobody's watching. And the thing about it is when you're doing it, if I could say this is don't rehearse for Sunday. Don't do anything that you're doing for people, like that you know people are going to see, or because that thing's kind of in your head, right? You know what I mean? As worship leaders, we're like, yeah. oh, you know, these people in my church, the ones that we pay attention to, like as, you know, as a worship leader, you've got those groups of people in your church, you're like, oh, yeah, they like it, good, okay, here we go. <laughs> you know, everybody, it's like, you don't want to think about those people. I'm not saying they're not important, and you don't think about them at all, but in this moment, it's not about people. You don't want to prepare for what you're going to do in front of people. Don't hit record on voice memo, no matter how good the song idea is, right? <laughs> Maybe you just open your your Bible and you start playing and singing, no matter how... It doesn't have to be great. It doesn't have to lyrically be like rhyme perfectly. It doesn't have to be the next big hit. It just has to be real and for Him. And when you do this, like, I mean, even 20 minutes a day in the morning, you know, or whatever, whenever you can get it in, spend time just doing this. It'll start to transform you, your character. And it's something that's, it's like, it's not like A plus B equals anointed worship leader. It's literally just the more time you spend with him, it's like the disciples, they said, they took notice. They said, these people have been with Jesus. And that's what you want when you get on a stage. You want people to go, man, this person's been with Jesus. And and it's not like I, I said this earlier, you know, I've seen bands and worship teams that like are hitting on all cylinders, like everything's polished, they're saying things in the right place, they're singing great, but it's just dry and flat. And if you know what I'm talking about, you know, and you're honest, you know those things are out there. And then somebody will get on a stage and start singing and playing that's just kind of, you know, okay musically. But there's something about what they're doing that leads you into the presence of God in a way that you can't explain. And I would say that there's someone that has learned to worship out of the overflow of a life lived in the presence of God. One of the things I really appreciate about the senior pastor at my church, and I've I've been at this church for about a, a year and a half, and I he, this is a man that is, for one, he... Uh, is a very good speaker. His ability, his charisma, his ability to deliver a message. He has done camps and you know evangelistic ministries. I mean, this guy has is used to being on stage, you know, two hundred times out of a year, and that's kind of the, where he came from. And and uh, really big in the youth ministry here in the South and all that. And then in the last five or six years, became a senior pastor. First time being a senior pastor. 
here at our church and just kind of seeing that little shift or whatever. One of the things I've always appreciated about him as I as I get to know him and I you know I hang out with him in you know closed door meetings and things like that is that this is a man that is constantly pouring over the scriptures constantly writing in his journal. He's going through journals left and right. He's buying like the real fancy pens, you know, like, the, you know, and, the, you know, talk about, I think I'm going to get a quill pen where I, you know, like, cause oh, he, cause he writes a lot. But what I've seen is that this is a guy that is constantly, you know, he's not coming up with his three points. His message is based on, he, he literally brings up his journal when he goes to preach oh, because he's preaching out of his journal and, you know, and, and it's, it's not even like he knows what he's going to say for him. You know, he's kind of got an idea and, you know, you've done this enough times you kind of get the formula down, but it's usually based on something that, that God has kind of spoken to him and what I, you know, knowing what I know about him and in the private life, I, I can see it. I can see that that time that he spends with God is outpouring on the stage. Yes, he has all the technical ability to be a very good public speaker, mm. but even more so, I can just see that coming out of his hat. And it's, it inspires me because I can get all nerdy into all the details. I mean, that's why I have a YouTube channel. That's why I have this podcast because I nerd out on these things and I think they're important. Yeah. But I know that where I struggle is like, okay, sometimes you, you know, this is like, you know, the main thing needs to be the main thing. And sometimes there's these side things that are important, but they're the means to the end. And I always want to make sure that I'm in a place where I'm I'm not elevating these things too far because you can totally miss it. Mm. Yeah, man, and I I'm, I understand that. I think though pastors are just as in danger of like picking up the Bible and forgetting how to read it just to know the Lord and not read it to prepare for a Sunday. Yeah, I mean, I, I got to tell you it can be very, unless I do what I'm talking about, which is intentionally set out and just spend time with him for the sake of spending time with him. If I don't train myself to do that, every time I pick up a Bible or read something, I'm going to go, oh, that's a great song idea. Okay, let's start coming up with some song. (laughs) Instead of, wait, what is God saying to me? You know, what am I, what is it about his character that I need to reinforce in my heart and in my mind? And you know, in my character, because, you know, I always say this to people, you know, your character is so important. God's not going to take you into your destiny and your purpose until your character's ready. Yeah. Because he loves you too much to do that, right? So yeah. if you feel like you keep hitting brick walls, maybe ask him, what is it you're trying to teach me about yourself and about me that I need to learn so that I um, can walk into the fullness of life that you have for me? Man, Stephen, that's a good word. That's a good word. Stephen, are you ready for the bonus round? Go. All right, bonus round coming at you in three, oh my gosh. two, oh my gosh. one. <laughs> Don't get nervous. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Early riser or night owl? Night owl, gosh. I totally believe that about you. Uh, yeah, I'm totally a night owl. I can't lie. Jesus is watching. Go. <laughs> Favorite TV or Netflix show? Oh, why would you say that to me? I gotta say Mandalorian right now. I'm totally a nerd about it. I love it. I so the kids. I, we don't have Disney Plus yet. Uh, okay, so you know, I don't know. That's kind of like a, I think that's a grievous sin, but that's okay. Go yeah, right it's ahead. in second opinions. <laughs> but we don't have Disney Plus yet, and but, but and I've got teenagers, and so especially my like my oldest son, you know, I, he's fine. I don't know, he's up to speed on it, and I'm not sure exactly how he's doing it. I don't know if he's got like a friend or sure. in school or whatever. But Mandalorian, I mean, 
it's hard to go wrong with Baby Yoda. It's great storytelling, too. It's awesome. In-N-Out or Chick-fil-A? Chick-fil-A, come on. Don't you love Jesus? What's wrong with you? Why are you even asking me that question? <laughs> Favorite book every worship leader should read? Oh, Envy by Bob Sorge. Mm, we'll put that in the show notes. You can check it out. Dude, come on now. Envy's the biggest thing going on in, like with churches. Come on. People get on stage. Somebody sings a solo you don't get to. Don't let them try to pretend like they don't care. You know? <laughs> or, so good. You know, it's like, dude, Envy. You got to learn to... You got to learn to let that stuff die before each other because that's where the good stuff is on the other side. Taylor or Martin? Oh, man, you would ask me that. Martin, because I'm a Martin artist. Mm. So I, I uh, legally have to say that. No, I'm just kidding. I do love my Martin D18. So Fantastic. Crunchy or creamy? What? Crunchy Crunch- or creamy? Oh, creamy, creamy. Come on, bro. What's a hidden talent that you have that only a few people know about? I am quite the yo-yo guy. I'm pretty good with the yo-yo. What? Yeah, man. Come on, bring it. All these years going around to festivals and walking around, I bought a yo-yo once and started going online and learning tricks. And it was like I was leveling up in a video game. I'd learn a harder trick. and Eventually, I got pretty good at it. So, yeah. So, you're just walking around these festivals with a yo-yo. I mean, like, would you draw crowds? when? Dude, I was in an airport once and they were people, like, gathered around me and started cheering and stuff and we're like are you on your way to florida to play at the parks it's <laughs> like no <laughs> just standing here that is for my plane <laughs> that's fantastic ladies and gentlemen that is the bonus round giving it for steven <sighs> i feel pretty good about that that went better than expected you did pretty good yeah i don't know what the score is but i'm sure it's adequate i'm pretty sure i won if there is one <laughs> i feel like i feel like i dominated <laughs> Let's talk about songwriting a little bit because obviously that's that's a big chunk of what you do and how God uses you just in, you know in ministering to people and the ability to, to 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 write songs and what I love about worship songs is that or at least one of the things I'm very mindful of is that we worship leaders are putting words in people's mouths. These are these are prayer opportunities for people. And so that's what I love about worship music. And so as a songwriter, someone who is sitting down and and writing some of these like and and you kind of find your space maybe in songwriting as far as like I want to and maybe you don't. Maybe you know as far as like you know I'm going to write this kind of a song or or I feel like people need to say this or declare this or like when you're sitting down to write songs, where do you feel like you lean in the direction of like these are the kinds of words, these are the kind of prayers that I want to give people the opportunity to worship with. Does that question make sense? Absolutely. Could you tell it again? I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> you know, here's the thing. You know, um, I don't think I've ever written a song that I didn't need to sing myself. So it's not that I'm first thinking, what do people need to sing? I'm always like, well, what do I need to sing? Because I'm going to sing it. I need to mean it, you know? Um, and so for me personally, it's that. And I always... When I when I'm writing personally, and I'm not, this is not a legalistic thing. It's just what I do. Um, I always like to sing to him, not like about him, like he's not in the room. Because again, I, I it's all about acknowledging, you know, him and and being aware of the reality of him. And so, even in music, that's something I want to do. I want to give something to people to use as a tool that will draw them closer to the reality of God. And draw them closer to like talking to him, singing to him, declaring things over their lives that come against the lies of the enemy. And so even a song like The Enemy Can't, you know, or The Belong to You, the chorus was a spontaneous thing that came in a worship night where I was like, I need to sing this because I was getting pummeled during that time. And and that came out of John 10 where 
you know, it says the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And we give, you know, the enemy a lot of, um, you know, credit with that one little bit of verse. But in the same chapter of the gospel, um, John, John 10, um, Jesus says, no one will snatch them from the Father's hands. And it's like, oh my gosh, that like just rocked me. It was like, oh, yeah, I can be tricked into giving up my destiny. I can be tricked into giving away, but no one can take it by force um, if I know who I belong to and whose I am, right? Right. And that's the whole idea behind that. I needed to sing that. So that's where that came from. And um, same thing with like our new single grave clothes. It, it's out of my own testimony. And it was me wanting to remember and recall and declare over my life that I'm putting on the fullness of life, the resurrection of Christ over my life, you know? And um, so I think as songwriters and stuff, it's really important to not just get in a room and go, okay, we've got from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. to write an anointed worship song, go. You know, it's right. like, <laughs> it's, it's gotta be real. You know, you gotta take them in. I mean, the Lord can use those. He does all the time. Greater you Lord is, is the product of a 10 a.m. to 3 a.m. Right. You know, so it's not that God can't do that. I just think, you know, it's gotta come out of a place of, man, I need to sing this over my life. I need to sing this about God's character. And I try to keep it always focused on the character of God. Um, so that we're declaring that over ourselves. You know, John um, 17, 3 says, um, you know, throughout the Gospels, it's like God's come so you can have eternal life, eternal life, eternal life, right? And sometimes we forget to ask what eternal life really is instead of just assume it's me living forever and playing a harp like a little baby cherubim up in the clouds, right? Right. <laughs> For all eternity. We have like the cover of Van Halen's <laughs> Jump. <laughs> oh, man. There you go. But... uh <laughs> No, it's like it, Jesus says in John seventeen three when praying, he says exactly what it is. He says, Father, I pray that they would have eternal life, which is to know you, the one true God in Jesus, me, Christ, your son, right? And it's this knowledge of him, his character, what he's like, um, who he really is. And so with music and songwriting, it's always like I'm trying to give people tools, language to talk to God and to declare who he is and to worship him in a way that is coming against the lies that people battle about who God is and about who they are. And I love the line that's in that grave clothes song. I'm taking off my grave clothes. I'm putting on my righteousness. I, one of the things that I'm, I always try to think about as a worship leader is that, you know, in our, our target on the wall, like our, our vision mission statement, like our target on the wall, our purpose, uh, whether we decide if we won at worship leading or not, did we do our job is filled through this statement. We're here to inspire people to pursue God through creativity and character. And that inspiring people to pursue God is that a lot of times people walk in the room and, you know, they've been fighting with their kids and, and they know how to like go through the motions. But how can we as worship leaders inspire people to take that direction, to, to, uh, to move towards God, to lift down the walls and initiate that conversation? Because there, there are moments where God kind of grabs you by the neck and says, I want your attention. Mm-hmm. But I've found him, at least in my life, that many times God just patiently waits there for us to kind of approach him. And so sometimes it's just you know, we need to help people make that, take that step. And, you know, maybe they walk in and they just kind of feel that, that depression and that hopelessness of whatever the situation is, you know, like a song like that, where it's like, okay, the prayer is I'm going to intentionally take off these clothes of death and I am then going to put on your righteousness. I'm going to put this away and I'm going to put this on. I'm going to step into this and allow God to do things through that. I think that's powerful. 
And you know that that song was literally written out of a spontaneous time of worship where we were at a house church of like 50 people. <laughs> like we were playing some big thing in North and we were coming back and somebody in I think Virginia um, said, hey, uh, we want you to come to our little house church here and worship with us. And we, we're just 50 people. We want to break bread with you, pray. We've been fasting. And, you know, we were like, yeah, we'd love to. As long as you're not serial killers, we're on our way. <laughs> you know, so anyways, we get to you this place. You should put that in the rider. We, <laughs> as long as you're not serial killers, then uh, we can do this. Yes. You know, I'm the kind of guy that would almost do that. So don't put those kind of ideas in my head. My management team would be like, who put this in the writer? I don't I don't know, but it seems logical. <laughs> I mean, it's sound advice, but anyways. So we ended up in this we ended up so we ended up in this basement with these 50 people and we start singing about um, you know, the, the when we got there, you know, God had been really speaking to me and Joel about John 11:40. Like he keeps bringing it up everywhere we look. It's really been crazy, right? And it's that Jesus calls Lazarus out of the tomb, right? This is part of songwriting, by the way. It's not just when you sit down to write. It's paying attention to the Lord speaking and repeating himself through things around you. Like, pay attention, you know? And here we are at this house, and we go, we ask these people, what's the one thing God's been teaching you lately? They literally say, John eleven forty, And I'm like, okay. So we start spontaneously singing I'm taking off my grave clothes. I'm putting on righteousness, you know, and the the bridge. I'm going to sing it till I mean it, till all my till all my doubts have been defeated. You're going to see this dead man walk. All this stuff. And we're singing this, and people are like, you can just feel the presence of God in this room. So we go on and we record the song with our producer, and we're you know it's coming out. And then Mike Weaver and I are, are talking. Who's the singer for Big Daddy Weaver on the phone talking and. He's like, what's new? What's going on? And we say, hey, we've got this song, Grave Clothes, we're real excited about. And it's like silence on the other side of the phone. And I'm like, you there? <laughs> He's like, what did you, did you say, Grave Clothes? He goes, literally this morning on my ride from Juice Bar home, I was singing this idea of this song, Grave Clothes, that the Lord had brought in my mind. And as he started talking about it, and I started letting him hear this, he was like, dude, I'm like freaking out right now because it's literally almost exactly what the Lord gave me. Now, here's the thing. First off, that's one of those moments where you're like, God's real. And then I'm like, too late. I wrote it first. Nan and a boo-boo. <laughs> <laughs> Mine. No, but that's not what I did. But here's the thing. When God wants to say something that's important, he repeats himself in the earth. Songwriters pay attention and, you know, don't go, oh, great, another song about that. Maybe there's another song about this or that because God's trying to say something. And the thing about that is for me, it was like, oh, yeah, taking on my grave clothes, putting on resurrection. So that's for me to remember that he's calling out those that aren't saved yet and all this, but also for the bride, for the church. Some of us have been resurrected. We've given our lives to Jesus, but we're still walking around in grave clothes. We're still wearing old, dead things that cannot go with us into our destiny, into the fullness of life that God has for us. Like we're just settling and getting by, but God's calling us into the fullness of life. And so that's what I think God's really saying in the earth right now. So it's not just about our song. It's it's something God's saying. I mean, I don't know if you start looking around, you'll start to notice there's a lot of things about grave clothes right now. Um, like I've seen a lot of sermons. I've seen a lot of people like just Mike bringing up that song like that. That was crazy. So songwriting, I think a big part of it is to pay attention and not just always be like, oh, I can't write another song about this. Well, maybe the reason God's putting ours in your heart is because he's trying to say something, he's repeating himself, and it's important. I 
I don't care what Steven says. I still think that dude's pretty cool. And as I listen to him share his testimony and how often he talks about going back to that night, that that moment where Jesus got a hold of him, it encourages me to make sure that I'm always going back to my moment back in high school, which also happened to be in the nighttime when I became a Christian, because that same power that brought me from death to life is the same power that we sing about every single morning. The other thing that I got from this conversation is just how important it is for all of us who lead worship, that we lead worship out of the overflow of our own personal worship. It's really easy to get caught up in all the details and all the to-dos and and that one extra thing that's going to make it, you know, sonically better or the band arrangement and all those things are important. It's the whole reason why this podcast exists and the YouTube channel exists, but If we want to lead powerful and authentic times of worship for others, it really needs to start in our prayer closets when no one else but God is watching. If you haven't already, you need to check out their EP. It's called Grave Clothes. It's so good. I'll put a few songs in the show notes that you can watch on YouTube or just search for Stephen McWhorter on places like Spotify and Apple Music. Hey, I released a video on YouTube that you might want to check out. When I was at the Philo Conference last year, I sat down with some of the best at what they do, and I asked them a few questions. And one of those questions was, how has a failure in the past set you up for success later in life? And they had some really good responses to that question. If you haven't already seen it, look for the link in the show notes. That and everything else that we talked about in this episode, you can find it by going to practicalworshipblog.com slash podcast 24. And also do this. Take a screenshot of your phone right now and share it on social media. I love knowing that you're listening to the show and what you're doing while you're listening. So tag me by using at Dave Dolphin. Okay. We also appreciate everyone that has left an honest five-star rating and review on iTunes and the Apple Podcast app. It really does help. So thanks again. This has been the Practical Worship Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Dave Dolphin, and let's do this again next month. I'm so cool. I'm just too cool. I'm too cool.